0: You remember when Jesus said these words in John 2? So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to them, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. John 2.18 through 22. You see, our Bible clearly teaches that if Christ's body was not resurrected, then we have no hope and that we also have no hope of being resurrected ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 17 says it this way, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is not true that the dead are raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, don't miss this, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see, apart from the fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I, we have no savior. We have no salvation. We have no hope of eternal life. As the Apostle Paul said, our faith would be useless and the life-giving power of the gospel would be totally eliminated. You see, our very eternal destinies ride on the truth of this historical event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has been a target for Satan for years against the attack against his church. According to the history of Christ's bodily resurrection, it's been examined time and time again. It's been investigated from every possible angle. And even though there are a number of theories that have uh, attempted to disprove this momentous event, The credible historical evidence still stands valid to this day. Nonetheless, you know, the Christians in ancient Corinth and really many today have misunderstandings that still persist in their hearts about their Savior's resurrection. There are some that ask, is it important That Christ's body was resurrected. Could his resurrection just have been spiritual pastor? Why and how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even guarantee for us. A bodily resurrection ourselves. What will our resurrected bodies look like? Will they look like our earthly bodies? Or like something else? You see the answer to all those questions are found in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It was a young church. And there was rampant misunderstanding about some key Christian doctrines and including the resurrection. Many of them accepted that Christ had been resurrected, but they had real deep difficulty in believing that they too, one day, would be resurrected. That was a great influence of the Gnostic philosophy during that time. And you know the Gnostic philosophy held that everything spiritual was good, whereas everything uh, physical was bad. So our bodies were what? Intrinsically evil. And they were essentially responsible for all the confusion these Gnostics in and around the resurrection. They had... An understanding that the body was an evil container, and they continued to teach that day in and day out. But in Acts 17 32, when Paul is being challenged and he's teaching them about Christ, even though they don't understand the whole concept. When he gets to the resurrection, they simply say, we will hear you again about this. So we recognize that many of those Corinthians understood that when a person died, that their soul was immortal. And at death, it immediately went into the presence of the Lord. Listen to these words. So we are always of good courage. While we are here at home in the body, we are away from the Lord and we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. And if you just think about it for a moment. This can't be a spiritual resurrection because the soul never dies. So it cannot be resurrected. So when we look at the fact that Christ said that his body would see no decay, we need look no further than Psalm 16, 9 through 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Follow that up with Acts two twenty-seven and 28. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness in your presence. And if you really, again, just take a moment to think about it. These claims would not be as provocative or as positive if there was no sense that Christ would be resurrected in a bodily form. Lastly, lastly, the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me. Jesus tells us in Luke twenty-four, thirty-nine. Paul tried to convince the Corinthians that Christ rose from the dead and they would also arise from the dead as well someday. That because Christ has been raised, Christ was the first fruit of all those who had fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes through one man. For as in all Adam died, so in Christ all will be made alive. When he speaks of Christ Jesus being the first fruits, remember the Old Testament. Remember that the Israelites could not fully harvest their crops unless they brought a representative sampling and gave it to the priests. That was the first fruits, Leviticus 23 and 10. What Paul is saying here is even more overwhelming. He's saying that by the resurrection of Christ Jesus, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first fruit of the harvest that God will get from believing Christians. And that because he's the first fruits, there will be many other fruits that will follow and that will be us because we will be resurrected as well paul likened our earthly bodies to a seed and that god would ultimately provide another body well pastor how or what will that body be like it'll be like christ glorious and resurrected now we live in bodies that are perishable but one day we will take off the perishable and put on the imperishable. One day we will take off the mortal and put on immortality. We will have glorious, powerful bodies that will be perfectly equipped for supernatural, heavenly living. Now this morning in the passage that we're dealing with, We see an event that happens in the life of a man called Lazarus. We will see all of the resurrecting power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he calls this man from death and says to those around, loose him and let him go. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the beginning, you are the end. You have no beginning. You have no end. For you are eternal. Your son is Alpha and Omega. And Lord we recognize. That you have complete authority. Over all things in life. Our life. Our death. Our health. Our strength. You control it all. And we willingly give it into your capable hands. So Lord as we see this preview of what it would be like one day when we hear our names called and we arise from our tombs to receive our just rewards for all that we have done good or evil when you call those to be resurrected to life with you eternally and when you call those to be resurrected to judgment. Because of their rejection of you. We love you and we praise you. It's in the precious name of your son. And our savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. That we ask it all. And all God's children said, Amen. Praise God. We see here that. Jesus. Calls for this man to be loose. To be let go. Because. He wants those surrounding him to see the glory of God. We start out here in verse 38 and we see that it says Jesus was moved greatly again, deeply again, as he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was laying against it. You know, last week we shared that the Bible lifts up in a verse before this and tells us that Jesus wept and we spoke about the Greek word there embri my, my which means to feel something deeply, to feel something strongly, to be emotionally overwhelmed and then we see the shortest scripture in the Holy Writ, Jesus wept but the question becomes why did Jesus weep? He wept because of the profound sorrow of the death of his friend. He wept because of the grief that he knew that the family suffered. He wept because his sorrow is intermixed with his anger at the evil of death, which is his final enemy. He will take the sting out of death. He will take the glory out of the grave. Jesus wept because of his great disappointment with their continual unbelief of those witnesses that were standing around him. Most of our translations dumb it down. They said that he sighed heavily. He was deeply touched or he was deeply moved in his spirit. But Jesus was angry. He was outraged. He was dealing with Uh, emotional stress here, and it's really inexcusable to make it sound like it was just mere empathy and pain. He was consistently angry with sin, consistently angry with sickness and death in this fallen world that wreaked so much havoc and sowed so much sorrow. Jesus was angry at the unbelief, the very fact that men and women who were his disciples could stand around him and grieve like pagans, grieve like the rest of mankind. And it's not that Jesus doesn't recognize that there will be profound times of grief in our lives, especially times of bereavement, and that is only national. But listen to me. When grief degenerates into disappointment and disappointment devolves into despair and despair deepens into dismay, a dismay that borders on disillusionment as if there were no resurrection, this development becomes an implicit denial of Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection. You see, you can take it too far. John takes us to this new passage he reminds us of all the raw emotions that were going on on that day. He comes to this tomb where they have laid Lazarus, they put a stone against it. This was not unusual. Many Jews buried their dead in caves, whether they were natural caves or they were caves that were hewed out of a rock. The caves could be either vertical or horizontal, but they always had a stone that would commonly seal it. Jesus comes he's right before that place and we see in verses 39 and 40 Jesus says take away the stone Martha the sister of the dead man said lord by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead 4 days Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha is just being Martha here, right? Martha takes charge. Martha deals with issues. Martha offers this objection when Jesus wants to remove the stone. This is entirely in her character. Her objection here is that she doesn't really understand the previous conversations that she's had with Jesus. She doesn't understand that Jesus is talking about the fact that her brother will be resurrected today. She has a concern about the stench that will be uncovered if the stone is removed. Uh, many of you are familiar that when the body dies, it goes through five stages of decomposition. Fresh, bloat, active decay, advanced decay, dry, and skeletal. So think about it. The first day, Lazarus is fresh. His circulatory system is stopped. Working so blood is not going through his veins anymore, it's settled in one place and it entered into lividity. Several hours his muscles are going to stiffen, and that's because of rigor mortis. And then we're going to see his body temperature acclimate to the environment, his cells are going to start to break down, enzymes are going to be produced, which will cause blisters on his skin. And then his digestive tract will start multiplying and producing acids and gases, which those incredible odors four days later are going to come from. And then we have bloat. Lazarus is going to blow up. His body is going to have a distended appearance. Gases and fluids will escape through natural orifices. His skin will become discolorated. Then active decay will set in. This is around day four. He begins to lose much of his fluids and his tissue and his body mass. Maggots will appear on his body. And then we will start to notice those incredible odors. Advanced decay takes over about the fifth day. And, you know, temperature is incredibly important. If it's hot, your body's is going to dis. It's going to discompose faster. If it's cold, your body's going to slow down. You will start to leave stains on the soil around you. If you're on the ground, those stains will kill vegetation. And then last, dry and skeletal. And this is really, this time varies because of the environment, varies because of temperature. Your skin becomes leather-like, really tough. Your bones are... Reduced to connective tissue. Bones will be bleached white if they are out in the sun or exposed to sunlight. So Martha had a fear that the decomposition of her brother's body would be offensive. Got to remember, Jews did not embalm their dead. Yes, they used spices, but that was only to tone down the odors. They weren't like the Egyptians. So we see here, Jesus tells her, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Remember back last week in John eleven twenty three 23 through 26, he said these words, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again, Martha. Martha said, I know he will rise again on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You know, the very act of raising someone from the dead would have been a revelatory act for them. Jesus Christ, in the face of death, is proven once again that he can be trusted, that no one else displays the full portion of the glory of God. But Jesus just doesn't raise Lazarus that he might have bragging rights. Jesus does it so that others might believe you see jesus who was previously angered because of their lack and faith that lack of faith and their unbelief now he throws down this gauntlet of prayer to challenge and to turn that unbelief into faith look at verses 41 and 42 they took away the stone and jesus lifted his eyes and said father I thank you that you heard me. Past tense, right? I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. That they may believe that you sent me. So Martha obviously gives consent for the stone to be removed. Jesus puts down this gauntlet of prayer. And I think he does it for several reasons here. First, notice that he refers to God directly as his Father, which is characteristic of all of his prayers. Look at John 17 and 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son as the Son may glorify you. He does the same thing in 24 verses later. Uh, John 17 25. O righteous father even though the world does not know you I know you and these know that you have sent me I think that's the second reason you see something here because Jesus states it in the past tense so Jesus has already spoken to God about the resurrection of Lazarus and he says i thank you father he's thanking him for the answer that he's already given and this is not surprising as well third we see the public nature of this prayer jesus is not playing to the peanut gallery here it's quite the reverse Jesus wants his prayer to draw these hearers, these unbelievers, into the intimacy that he shares with God the Father. The relationship that he shares with God the Father. That they might desire it also. His prayer demonstrates the truth of the words that he said earlier. When he spoke about the fact, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father's doing. This prayer highlights the fact that Jesus does nothing. Jesus is totally dependent and obedient to his father's will. The son asks, the father grants. Jesus is hoping. Jesus is praying that those unbelieving hearers will now believe when they see the consequence of the prayer. Can we learn anything from the prayers that Jesus prayed? I think the prayers that Jesus prayed give us great insight if you look throughout the New Testament. Give us insight into his very nature. Give us insight into his heart. Gives us insight into his mission on earth. Because Jesus prayed and encouraged others to pray, but Jesus' prayer life was a part of his life. Jesus prayed at every situation. He withdrew himself to places where he would have deep times of prayer. Luke 5, 16. Now if the Son of Man found it important for us, to a brother found it for himself important to keep communication flowing between him and his father how do we think we can escape communication between us and our father don't we need it much much more when jesus faced persecution he prayed trials he prayed heartache he prayed physical suffering he prayed he prayed with all confidence never neglecting the stone the throne of god's grace even in the lord's prayer you know the lord's prayer is an actual teaching you know that comes out the sermon uh from the mound and you know elder kelly has taught us in his sermons about this being a model prayer When Jesus approaches God as our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He takes us through those six petitions. Jesus prayed at every important event of his ministry. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed when he fed the 5,000. He prayed when he fed the 4,000. He prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. He prayed when he chose the disciples, stayed up all night and prayed. He prays now at Lazarus' tomb. He prays that God will show himself strong before all of those who are around, that they might believe that God has sent him. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Right before his arrest. Asking his father if it's possible. May his cup be taken from me. But not as I will. But as you will. Jesus even prayed. On the cross. In the midst of his agony. It echoes. Psalm. 22 and 1. Eli Eli. Lama sabachthani My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he even prays right before he takes his last breath. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus believed in prayer, new life. So we should believe in prayer as well. We should believe in prayer and in the fact that we will all live again. In fact, we will never die in that sense. Yes, we will leave this ram momentarily. But it'll be just like passing from your pew into the atrium. Never losing consciousness always being in the presence of God, feeling his comfort, his support, his provision from the moment that they, from the moment you cease activity on this side of eternity. Verses 43 and 44 tells us that Lazarus came back that he might live again. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So we hear the cry, we hear the command of Jesus Christ saying, Lazarus, come out. But really, is this not just a manifestation of what Jesus has already said in John 5, 25 through 29? Turn there with me for a moment. John 5, 25 through 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. So he's telling you this is a now but not yet situation because he's telling you the time is coming and the time is right now. That those who hear the voice... Just like you and I heard the effectual call that called us to believe in Christ. That called us to faith. It goes on here. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is a son of man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. He said, don't, you know, it's going to get even more inclusive than this. Because I'm going to call, everybody's going to get up. I'm going to call everybody out. You know, it has been said that the authority of Jesus' voice at that moment was so powerful that if it had not been specifically calling out Lazarus, everybody would have got up. You know, there was a sweat cloth that men would wear around their necks. And this is what they used to wrap the face of Lazarus, or rather really they wrapped the face of Jesus in. A person would be bound by these linen strips to the point that they could barely walk. This word unbind in the Greek is a word luo. And the word luo means loose, to loosen someone who has been tied or fastened, to release someone, to set them free, to annul something and or to destroy something. Lazarus was called to the resurrection or the restoration of life. He was loose from the very hands of death. He was loose from those linen strips that bound him. He was loose and released back into this present life. He was loose and had his death sentence annulled and destroyed by the one who has the power to give life and give life abundantly. He comes out of the tomb and contrasts for a moment to the five stages of decomposition. Decomposition. He comes out four days later perfect. With not a hint. You know, Jesus comes out the tomb. He still has the scars. Lazarus comes out pitch perfect. Again, I think this is a veiled hint of the resurrected body and I say veil because, again, Lazarus dies. He's raised from dead, but Lazarus dies again. So it's not complete, but I think it shows us, it gives us a preview into what will happen. Look at, uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 58. First Corinthians chapter 15, 53 through 58. For this perishable body, perishable body must be must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death where is your victory, O oh, death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing That in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is an incredible testimony that should eradicate in the hearts of each and every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that we do not fear death. Because we know who holds our life in his hands. And he's already promised us that no one can snatch us out of his hands. No disease, no illness. We're not leaving a moment before that expiration date that is somewhere on our body. Don't best use before this date. And because we can trust him, we do what? We live in a way that we are steadfast, that we contend for the faith, that we're always working, abounding in the work of the Lord, that we don't allow ourselves to be shift or bullied or uh, threatened into behavior that we know is unbecoming to our Father. We trust him fully, even when we cannot see what he's doing because he, we know, he cares for us, and he's doing what is best in our lives. You know, George Bush once retold a story about being at the funeral of Brezhnev. Bush was there as a vice president, and you know, that's what vice presidents do, they attend uh, funerals of world leaders. He was deeply moved by the silent protest that was happening outside of the funeral. Breachnet's widow walked in. She stood motionless by the coffin until they closed it. But just when the soldiers were lowering the lid, his wife came over, held up the top, and gave the sign of the cross this is the wife of a Russian leader. A country that is steep in the unbelief of anything called God. But because of her faith, she believed that her God was powerful enough to even accept this one who had been the symbol of repeated threats against Christians, that he was gracious enough and had the ability to pardon. And she, because she loved him, knew that maybe, you know, you just never know with people. You never know when they come to that aha moment Is it right before that embalming fluid hits them? Is it right before they toiled in the understanding that life is like a vapor that can be blowed out at any time? But she put all her trust in the God that she believed in. And we can put all of our trust in that same God those of us who hold a consistent and constant faith, those who are still seeking, we ask that you give ear to when the word of God is being proclaimed, that you open that closed mind and you eradicate all those thoughts about the Bible being a magical book and you just look at this great creation that could have never happened out of chance, and you think for a moment in the deepness of your soul, do I really understand what and where my destination after this life is? Is there still time for me to answer to the one who has no rival to the one who has no equal. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just are overwhelmed by the privilege of knowing you. Overwhelmed by your love for us that you sought after us when we were not seeking for you. Now, Lord, we just ask that you awaken all of those who already know you those who are still steep in confusion, those who are still steep in denial but those that you have chosen from the very foundations of the world Lord we ask that you will call their name and that they will respond even while this broadcast is happening Lord you can do a work The Bible says that you can raise us from the dead in a twinkling of an eye. So, Lord, raise those who are now spiritually dead. Let them know your love, your provision, your protection. Let them know the deepest and most compassionate and complete relationship they can ever be in. On this side or on the other side of eternity. Lord, we just ask you to bring those who are seeking you into our purview and give us the ability to share the gospel with them and to speak to them about a faith that will last them their whole life. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for what you've done and most importantly, we thank you for your son, Christ Jesus who has done it all. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.